On today's A Critical Faith Podcast, we have special guest speaker, Tony De La Rosa, who's an executive with the PCUSA Synod of Mid-America. There are times when the events of Scripture seem so remote from our daily 21st century lives that it's nearly impossible to relate to them. To be fair, the, the Bible was authored centuries ago before the modern technological wonders of our day shaped our daily lives. People today, and especially Americans, live much differently from the residents of the Middle East generations ago. After all, when was the last time you had to fetch water from a communal well or make a burnt offering in a temple. Even in most parts of rural America, these experiences are the stuff of history, or at best, dim memory. In today's world, everyone has experienced what David and Jairus, even the bleeding woman, are described as suffering in their day. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful passing the love of women, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. The death of a loved one. How have you mourned the loss of someone you deeply cared for? Did you sequester yourself away from others so that others would not be made uncomfortable by your sadness? Did you 
seek out the company of a few close friends and family to share your grief? Did you share the news far and wide to alert your community of your loss and your pain? Well, today's scripture readings has all three of these approaches to grief. And one surprising turn of events with respect to one of them that no one could have predicted. So let's take the first example that today's readings offer us, the story of David and his reaction to the deaths of his nemesis, King Saul, and Saul's son, and David's boyfriend, Jonathan. On the one hand, Saul's death removes one of David's biggest threats from the picture. Saul, the king who lifted David out of obscurity as a child shepherd and foisted greatness onto him as warrior against the Philistines, had also tried to have David killed on multiple occasions when rage and, over, and jealousy overtook the paranoid monarch. However relieved David might have felt about Saul's passing, he recognized the threat his demise represented to the fledgling nation of Israel. And any hint of celebration over Saul would undermine David's ability to rule as the new king. But politics aside, it is Jonathan's death that serves a real punch to David's gut. Jonathan, a man who David loved and who loved him back in a manner Passing the love of women, says scripture, now lay butchered on a Philistine battlefield. David is clearly distraught about the loss of his beloved Jonathan, and he does nothing to hide it. Drawing on his innate talents in music, he composes a song that scripture says all the people of Judah learn to sing. It is a song of lament on its face that speaks to the passing of both Saul and Jonathan, but seems to dwell on the tragedy of Jonathan, the latter, passing. With David's shared sense of loss, an entire nation mourns the passing of two powerful men. And with Israel and Judah's immersion into grief, the reign of the great King David begins. What struck me about the overt and public display of grief here by David is that brilliant way he allowed his pain and suffering to connect with the people who initially may not have even shared his grief. In a similar way, uh, my late sister-in-law, Nikki, 
did something extraordinary as she approached the end of her life from a long illness. Opting to refuse further treatment, she announced her decision on social media. And she laid out a prospective timeline for her passing. And she graciously thanked all whose lives intersected with hers for their shared experiences, both good and bad. The outpouring of response to her was both immediate and overwhelming. Hundreds of her friends and acquaintances from all parts of her life offered words of gratitude and comfort. And she was well enough to read and, re and enjoy and respond to them. And when she finally passed a few months after her announcement, all around her observed that her willingness to be open about her impending death allowed people to eulogize her while she was still alive. I have no doubt that Nikki felt loved and comforted in her leaving the full life that she had lived. Both she and King David from scripture afford us a look at how to address the loss of those we love and even those we love less. Sharing our grief and pain is not a burden on others. It can be a mechanism for uniting strangers into bringing appreciation and comfort in our grief. Dealing with the death of someone you love is never easy. Oftentimes, the passing of a loved one comes unexpectedly and without warning. And, it, and it's the suddenness of that departure that hurts the most. It feels like the interruption of an intimate conversation where a story is being shared and goes unfinished. The shock, the disappointment, the, the letdown are overwhelming. Being caught off guard like that can lead to odd feelings surrounding the loss. An old friend of mine, Jimmy, who himself has since passed, once confessed to me a deep and abiding sense of guilt about his father's passing. And why was Jimmy feeling guilty? Because his first reaction to hearing of his father's unanticipated death was that it could not have come at a more inconvenient time. His mind told him that the death of a loved one is never convenient or expedient, but his heart condemned him for daring to think such a thing. Yet, the truth is, 
no one grieves perfectly. Sometimes our pain makes us feel and do things we later come to regret. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years in today's reading from Mark was one of those. The scripture passage does not exactly say that she was dying, but she might as well have been. She had developed a chronic and bloody illness that defied medical treatment and left her destitute. Given her desperate circumstances, she was deprived of life's joy and happiness and thus half dead, at least in her imagining. When Jesus approached, she saw nothing to lose in reaching out and grasping at a miracle cure. And to her surprise, the cure worked instantly. To her greater surprise, Jesus knew something had happened and demanded to know who had touched him. Newly free from her physical maladies, the woman now faced a different challenge, namely her guilt at having taken advantage of the Nazarene carpenter and the chaotic situation around him. In fear and in trembling, she confessed to Jesus what she had done. The last surprise for her that day was that Jesus told her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Belief in the saving presence of Jesus had restored her to life anew. And she now received his blessing to boot. Being wracked with guilt is a sad way to die, but it's an even worse way to live. Both the bleeding woman and my grieving friend Jimmy were both faced with the desperation and exasperation unanticipated suffering and death can inspire. If we can but recognize our weakness, own up to our fears, acknowledge any wrongs we have done, and allow ourselves the ability to receive divine grace again, then we too can experience the gift of healing and life anew. But how do we believe in life anew when all hope has died? So we go back to Jairus. Jairus, an elder of the synagogue, no less, was begging Jesus to work his healing magic for his ailing daughter. But he later learned that his efforts were in vain and that the girl now lay dead. Jairus, perhaps beset with sorrow, doesn't say another word for the rest of the story. Others mock Jesus for continuing to Jairus' house insisting that hope is not lost for the little girl. And in a single authoritative moment, 
Jesus summons the girl awake and presents her to the amazed household who have been remind, have to be reminded to feed the apparently hungry child. So even in the face of death, Jesus shows Jairus and his household that all is not lost and that love and hope can prevail when we least expect that it will. Those who love, both those with us here on earth and those departed from our midst but living in eternity, those who love, we love, remain alive for us no matter what. They inhabit our hearts and our memories. And they instruct and guide us in ways we don't immediately recognize, but we come to know when the time is ripe. Like Nikki and Jimmy, who have been with the angels for some time now, their earthly lives and interactions still inspire and instruct. And they even make their way into sermons long after they are gone, to the benefit of those who knew them, those who did not. Thank you for listening to A Critical Faith Podcast from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln. We invite you to like our Facebook page at First Presbyterian Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, or go to our website and find out more. Just go to fpclincoln.org, fpclincoln.org, and we hope you'll join us again next week for A Critical Faith Podcast.